From the greater Boston area, you are listening to the My Turn Conversations, brought to you by Tufts Education Reentry Network. These are stories of life during and after incarceration told by people who've lived it and are working to overcome the odds. I think growing up, um, depending on what area you're from, what neighborhood you're in, what set you're in. What I school you went to. What school you went to. It all played a part of who you hung out with and ultimately what gang you end up joining. And I think that, you know, like kind of right from birth, you end up inheriting enemies or not liking individuals just because where they're from, what color they're wearing, what neighborhood they're in. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all the same people fighting for the same things. We're people that are oppressed, and then you find some sense of meaning in it, and then we start oppressing each other. Where you from, bro? From Lynn, city of Sin. Where you from? I'm from Revere, bro. Um, so my name is Bobby. I'm from Revere. I was born and raised in the city of Revere. I got um very strong ties to my community. Um, you know, now I am director of community outreach for the Transformational Prison Project. I work for a, um, a restorative justice organization. Um, I once was an individual that was heavily involved in gangs. Um, that was like my way of life. I don't think most people would think that I would have made it. I even got to the point where I was serving a life sentence and never coming home. And now I'm at the point where I'm back in my community, um, doing the best I can, but not only for me, but for my community. And I believe that restorative justice is the best tool to repair the harm in my community because I know that there's so many people out here hurting. The only reason why they're hurting other people is because they're hurting themselves. And I was hurting other individuals because I was hurting myself because of the trauma that I've been through in my life. And now I speak about that trauma. I talk about the things that I've been through and I be vulnerable. And that's a huge way on how I healed and I want that healing for everybody else because as I said before hurt people hurt people but healed people also heal people and I'm going to pass it over to my friend over here from Lynn the city of sin you never go out the way you go in (laughs) (laughs) never come out the way you go in my bad hey what's going on um Chaya um yeah, my uh, my community is a big part of my life now. I coach for the Eastland Pop Warner. Uh, I mainly coach the six-year-olds, uh, six to eight-year-old. I just want to get back to my community, you know, keep kids off the streets and give them something to look forward to. Growing up, uh, it wasn't really much for me besides the streets, gangs. So I was heavily gang involved. 
and just Lynn's reputation, you know, is mainly gangs. You e you're either in a gang or you play sports. So I want to give back to my community by just pulling in kids, troubled youths, anyone that needs help. I just want to get them off the streets, you know, and divert them from the life that they could possibly ruin. It's my city. Um, it's full of gangs. Blim probably got a lot more, but it definitely is, especially when I was growing up. And I think the uh, predominant or the biggest gang out there was Bloods, different sets of them. Um, I think that's what my city at least is known for, and I think what Chai's city is known for is majority Crips. Yeah, majority Crips, different sets mainly three, four sets that predominantly run Lynn. There's also other gangs, Bloods, Rascals, uh, there's Latino gangs. Deuce Boys. Deuce Boys. I knew as soon as I walked into the classroom, as soon as I seen him, you know? I just, that's just my thing, but I didn't, it doesn't matter to me, you know, like I, I'm past that point. Um, as soon as I seen that he was Kamai, I already, you know, I already figured something. And then he said he was from Lynn, but I just, I just knew. You can just tell, you can just feel it, you know. And I think, um, but that didn't bother me. I mean, I did 12 years in prison and some of the closest people to me were from rival gangs, you know, um, cause we're all from the same area. And you know, when you go up there, um, you start looking at things a lot differently. Um, and at the end of the day, the same people that I had, or thought I had issues with, were right next to me anytime something happened. And I think, um, yeah, so like, I, that didn't bother me. If anything, as soon as I seen him, I kind of felt more connected. I felt like a little bit more like, like, I didn't know who was going to be in here, so I was like, all right, cool. I think I sat right next to you, too. Yeah, we sat so right next like, to each other. You know? And we're just like, oh, where you from? I'm from Lynn. Oh, where you from? I'm from Revere. I knew. Well, once when I seen Bobby, I already knew who he was, just because his face was on the news, on a newspaper, because I'm from Lynn. He's from Revere. The, it's like a 15-minute drive. So... Everything that's on a newspaper that happens in Revere is on a Lynn paper. I'm pretty sure whatever happens in Lynn is in the Revere paper. So I've seen it, I, I knew who he was, and um, I know a lot of Bobby's people. With, um, at the time, in the past, I had problems with, now I'm actually good friends with a lot of these, these guys. Yeah, I know a lot of his people too, so it was really, um there's no awkwardness for me at all. Yeah, same here. Like I said, anything if I felt more comfortable. Yeah, just knowing that, like, you know someone from the neighborhood and with the situation I'm going through and the situation that he had been in, I felt more connected and knew that it was, like, someone that I could talk to, you know, for advice or anything.
growing up, I had problems with people. I didn't even know why I had problems with them, you know. And I'll say 70% of the people that I grew up having problems with now, I'm good friends with them, you know, because I actually got to know them as a person and not as a gang member. And, uh, you know, we put our differences to the side and try to get back to the community. I think, like, especially around that area, whether it be Revere, Lynn, Chelsea's, Boston, like, around there, like, everybody knows each other but don't know each other, even if you don't, because it's, like, small but it's big. And if you're in that life, it's kind of like a survival mechanism in some way. You gotta know yeah. everything. It's like, you gotta know who's your prey and who's your predator, you know? Especially living that, the street life, it's, um, you always gotta watch your back, so, so, I mean, social media played a big part in it, you know? Gangs taking pictures with each other, it gets posted on the internet, then you see an enemy, and you're like, you go on an enemy's page and you see the picture. It's like, all right, this dude is this guy, this guy, and so you know who the per who that person is. You know their name, how they look, but you don't know them as a person. Well, I think that's like the culture of the world. Like we're all divided. You know, um, if you just look at it as countries, you know, like everybody's divided, everybody's fighting each other. This is mine. We belong here. You belong there. It's like embedded in us yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So when you find something, something that, you know, two people have an interest in, it brings them more together and more connected. So like once when I found out Bobby does restorative justice, he's giving back to the community. Like, hey, look. I don't do restorative justice, but I'm trying to get back to the community too. Mm -hmm. Keeping kids off the streets, getting them into sports so that they don't fall into the streets. There's still a, there's a, it's a low percentage, but there's still a percentage of kids who we pull into sports who end up still falling into the street life. But just knowing that we tried, you know, it matters. And I've known a couple of the my coaching staff, um, you know, they played football, fell into the streets, fell victim of to the streets, and actually came back into football, but as coaching, because they realized, you know, I messed up, I made a couple poor decisions, and I'm trying to keep the kids off the streets, yeah. just get back to the community. And it's not just changing lives, it's saving lives. Yeah, it's saving lives. Because I wish I had somebody, um, that can understand me when I was growing up. I think growing up, most people, it's all about, especially the tough on crime era, it's all about punishment and telling you what to do, and that just doesn't work. Being real is what works. Being honest is what works, you know? Yeah, because I felt like in the era that we grew up, it was just nothing but punishment, you know? Everything you did was wrong and you were punished in the wrong ways and not told why, really, why are you being punished for in the way that you were punished, you know? Because there were certain crimes or 
I wouldn't just say crimes, but just certain things you did that weren't right, and you'd get punished in the worst way possible, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I got arrested in the seventh grade. It had nothing to do with school, and they kicked me out of school because of zero tolerance. Now, zero tolerance is so ridiculous, so horrible, because they don't even do that to adults. When you get charged or in trouble, you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you're a juvenile, you are not. And that's backwards. That makes no sense. Because as a young person, you're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. But instead, when that, those mistakes do happen, instead of learning from it and working with them, they just kick them out. And I think that that's like one of the biggest problems with youth today, or especially back then. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it was crazy. Like my whole neighborhood was in and out of DYS or juvenile detention centers. Early dropouts, yeah. a bunch so of kids being work. expelled. No, oh. it absolutely doesn't work, you know? Absolutely, I mean like, if anything, it makes people worse. Yeah. That gave me the, the option to be more with my boys. You know, that gave me the option to, you know, they understood what I was going through. So and they didn't like it either. So I think that we treat young people, like I said, like adults, actually worse than adults in, in this country, period. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like. I know growing up, like I live in, growing up in Lynn, there's a bunch of schools in Lynn. So like if you lived in East Lynn, you went to whatever schools were in your district. If you lived in West Lynn, you lived in whatever school was in that district. But what it was, was East Lynn was mainly Crips. Growing up in East Lynn, you, the neighborhood was mainly Crips. If you lived in Westland, it was mostly Bloods. It's, Westland is closer to Revere. And um, I think that in the school rivalry, it actually played a part in the gang life out in Lynn, you know? Mm -hmm. Because, like, I went to Lynn English High School. That's East Lynn. When I went to school, it was nothing but Crips in that school. When I, I knew people that went to Lynn Classical, it was nothing but bloods there. And so if the two football teams were playing with against each other, the two gangs are going to be there, you know, supporting their brothers, their sisters, whoever's on the teams. And it kind of played, it was just like, just like school rivalry, it was gang rivalry. It's like, a couple of weeks ago, we played the um, my football team. We played uh, for the city champion. Um, away Eastland, there Westland. It's, it's a rivalry. I, like I, I felt that I was telling other coach. I'm like, yo, this shit feels like it feels like a game war right now. Like you legit have all the Eastland uh, parents and supporters, fans and supporters on one side, all the Westland on the other side, and it's like. You see the colors, you know. We're wearing maroon, they're wearing green. And it's like, you look and you're like, damn, this is like, like I had a flashback of like when I was a kid. I was like, damn. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And, the, you know, the coaches, we get into heated arguments, too, on the field, on and off the field. Well, for me, I did 12 years, so when I came home, it was different. Um, I was different, but I came right back to the same neighborhood. And a lot of people said that I was crazy for doing it, but I felt like that's where I belong, you know? If I'm gonna come out here, if I'm gonna bring restorative justice, handling to, my, to a community, why don't I start with the ones around my area? Um, it wasn't easy because I knew for one, that I was gonna bump into individuals that told on me, but I already came to like peace with that. And I remember like the first night I went out, um, my boy was like, oh, you gotta come out. It was, uh, I was like a month or two. I just didn't wanna leave. Like it's been so long, I didn't, and uh, he's like, no, just come out. I've never been to a bar before, you know? Cause I wasn't old enough um, when I went in. So I went to um, first bar on Shirley Ave, had a couple of drinks and then like we went to another bar and then I told my friend like oh, I don't want to bump into nobody you know and uh, one of the first persons I bumped into is somebody that told on me but you know I grew up with him I knew him since we were kids like I still love him even though he did me wrong so I went up to him and uh, tapped him on the shoulder and I was just like what's up bro and I was like yo I forgive you and like he didn't really know what to say, because um, like I said, I was a different person back then. That's not something I would have done. And I just told him, I was like, you know, I'm not mad at you, man. You just hurt me. You know, you were my brother. And, um, but, you know, I forgive you. And I think um, my approach um, definitely shocked a lot of people, but who are them to tell, who's anybody to tell me what I gotta do? you know, and what's good for me. I did my time, you know, and if I did something to him, what's that gonna prove? Not gonna prove nothing, you know? I think by me saying that and showing him that, um, he'll feel it more. N not saying that I'm doing that for him to feel it more, but I know that he's having more trouble sleeping at night than me because you know, we knew each other since we were babies. I was like my brother, you know? And I think like, you know, for me, like I'm really cool with everybody now, so I don't have really issues, but for a lot of people, it's not necessarily them not being in that gang life no more. It's people not letting them get out of it. Your enemy's not letting you get out of it. Your friend's not letting you get out of it. Um, and that's a difficult approach as well. I just think that I'm older and I think, I think people respect me a little bit more so I can actually have that conversation with individuals. However, I think um, there's a lot of things that still happen out there. And at times, like I get in the middle of it, but in a positive way. Like when two neighborhoods are about to go at it, sometimes people call me like, oh, this is what, and I try to 
defuse the situation because I know how crazy it can get. Then it can get to the point where somebody loses their life or gets seriously hurt. And I try to break it down to them like, what's that worth? What, over a girl? Over this? Really? And um, majority of the time it works. Not all the time. Because um, that life sometimes for them, violence is necessary. And if you're not violent, people will prey on you. So I get that. So I can't always stop everything. But um, I do what I can, you know? So I think coming home for me, um, I think I came to the right spot. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Well, my transition was, um, it was a little easier for me. So um, I was only locked up recently for about a week. I was released early due to COVID. Uh, they were releasing all nonviolent offenders. I was um, locked up for trafficking drugs. Uh, what ba what basically hit me was um, I was locked up, and my kids my kids have always been around people being locked up, like family members. So they know they talk on the phone. They know. So one day I called, and I was on the phone, and <clears throat> the money was low on the phone. So when the, your money is low, you only have a X amount of minutes to talk. So I was just saying goodnight to them. They thought I was on vacation for work, and. Um, the securest lady does the, you have one minute left. And I heard both my kids, they were like, oh, daddy's in jail. And I was just like, fuck. And that sh it broke me. It broke me right there. Like, I just dropped the phone. I didn't even say bye or nothing. I dropped the phone. And I just walked away. I was like, fuck. I was like, damn, my kids know I'm in jail, you know? I was trying to hide it from them. And, um, so I came home and I just made everything about them, you know, about them, their mother. And, uh, you know, I had, when I was first released, I, I had thoughts of just going right back to the streets and doing what I was doing, you know, it's, it's, it's what I knew. It's what I know, it's what I knew. I mean, I was always, I always worked. I always had a job, I was always hardworking, but making that little extra money, it helps. But, um, just thinking about my kids, my family, um, disappointing my father, because he always told me, like, Yo, you need to get out. He said, you need to get off the streets. You need to do better. You got kids. Like, don't end up like me, you know? And um, it, it just one day just finally clicked to me. So, you know, I just try to keep it clean, keep it smooth, stay out of trouble. Uh, I stopped communicating with a lot of people that I, I did in the past. And um, I just tried, I tried to do positive things, you know. My issue is not the gangs out there, it's not the community. To be honest with you, it's the police. Um, there's a lot that on the low support what I'm doing, but um, some of them try to block me from talking to kids, try to block me in certain areas. And I'm not mad about it. Um, I understand because I harm them too. You know, I got locked up for taking somebody's life. I got locked up for taking an off-duty police officer's life in my community. So I hurt them. So I get why they feel that way. You know, um, 
I just wish that like, you know, they went through a circle, they went through a process, they were ready to do that so they can see that them doing that, them blocking me, is just hurting things more and also hurting themselves. Because then when you are open and talk about it, you're gonna heal too. But you just gotta meet people where they're at and they're not simply ready. So I think that's my issue is more of the police than anything. Um, but in due time, things will work out, you know? I took a fatherhood program. I did a fatherhood program called a Nurturing Fathers Group. Uh, that really helped me out. Uh, definitely reconnected with my kids. I didn't really have a connection with my younger son because I was so involved in the streets. Uh, I was always out selling drugs instead of spending time with my kids. So I, always, I was always there for them financially, physically and emotionally. I was never there. I was either out selling drugs or out getting drunk and high. You know, and um, as my kids got older, I, I started realizing, you know, like, I'm like, damn. I'm neglecting my kids how my father neglected me when I was growing up. I didn't give him no attention. My father gave me no attention. He was always working or doing whatever he did. He was never home. I realized that and I said, you know what, I need to start spending more time with my kids. And I learned that through the fatherhood program that um, I participated in. And um, the times that I did talk to my kids was more like yelling. I was always yelling at them. I always had a higher tone with my kids because I felt like they were so distracted with electronics or whatever they were doing. So I'd ask my kids, hey, can you do this real quick? or hey clean up your mess and they wouldn't do it so I'd yell and that kind of put a fear I kind of put a fear in them so when they wanted something or if they needed me to do something or help them with something they were always afraid to ask me and I started realizing that because they would go I'd be right next to them and they'd go find an, another adult and be like oh can you put me food or um can we do this or can we do that? And oh, why don't you ask your dad? Oh, I'm scared. So I was like, all right, you know what? I need to, I need to better control myself. And uh, I end up just, it took a, it, it took a lot, it took a lot definitely to uh, change. Um, I had to drop everybody that I hung out with. I had to keep myself at home, just work home, work home. Before it was work, go out, come home, sleep, and go back to work. And then doing that all over. Now it's, my life just consists of work, home, school, or coaching. And uh, coaching definitely helped me out a lot. Um, I was always good with kids, always good with kids, because Growing up, I always had to raise, help raise my nephews, my nieces. I was always good with kids. I, when I first found out I was gonna have kids, I knew like I'm ready. I wasn't scared. A lot of people were like they're about to have a kid and they're freaking out. Oh, how am I gonna do this? I knew how to take care of a kid, but the only thing that made me go crazy was how am I gonna support them financially? Because what I did was I always had a good job, but I was like, that's the money's not enough. So I ended up selling drugs. I've always sold drugs, but 
I went back to it. And I got more serious into it than just a little. Before it was like, all right, you make two, three hundred dollars, that's okay. Like, when you have a kid, and you're like, I need to make two, three thousand dollars. And, um, but yeah, just um, transitioning for me was a lot easier. I just, my kids are my motivation, you know, my kids, their mother, uh, everybody here in this class. Bobby's my motivator. Motivate me too, bro, bro. Thank you. That strong community bond has always been in us. We just use it in a negative sense. And when we turn it around and use it in a positive light, we can really promote change more than most people don't even know how to because they don't have that life experience. Now you have a lot of people that's in the field and they're doing great work, but they don't fully understand what's going on. You know, I understand. I feel it. I've been through it. You know, it runs through me. I still have the pains of it. I still have the joy of it. You know, and, and I think that that pain drives me. You know, it drives us. You know, um, when I see, you know, I know this is off topic, topic, but like the other day, somebody got murdered in my neighborhood. You know. And then, like, I can just see, like, you know, and that and that hurt me. Even though I didn't know him, a lot of the young kids around my, my area knew him. But it's just like, like, I don't want that for everybody else, you know. Because the other dude that did it, got caught, you're going to do a life sentence. And that, you know, two lives are lost. We go at change in a different way. We do it in a punishment or a punitive way. And we got to go about it in a restorative way because that's what works. You're not going to change nothing. You might, might solve that specific case or that problem, but you're not going to sh- change the overall problem. And I think, like, I just wanted you, know, you all to get to know us for who we really are and not judge us by our past or what's on paper. Um, and I think in the future, you're going to show and prove, we're going to show and prove that we really are going to make change because we're doing it right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't think people should judge you on the poor decisions that you made in the past and rather judge you off of how you transition and how you changed. you know? Change isn't easy. It's easy to go back to the life that you lived, but trying to change and putting your heart into wanting to give back, you know, changing other lives, not just yours, but other lives. As I, I, it plays a big role in my life now. I think, too, I kind of want to hit on something that you said, too. Um, definitely with, you know, going back to that life um, from coming home. I mean, it's easier to do the wrong thing. It's harder to do the right thing. It's easier to punch somebody in the face. It's harder to walk away, you know? And I think too, I also think that like, there's like way too many obstacles for individuals when they come home, especially from individuals that we come from and the life that we come from. Because one, is even if I try to do the right thing and I do get a job, my record's always gonna hinder me. They're going to find some type of way to find out who I am, where I'm from. I'm an ex-gang member and find some way to fire me and not let me in the door. 
And then housing's the same thing. I got denied 40 times for an apartment before I got one. 40 times, I went to try to get one in Revere, Chelsea's, Boston, denied. Finally, I got one and went through. And then when you do get the apartment, it's like, not too long ago, they put me on the news for doing the right thing, right? Now, all they need to do is find out who I am, neighbors to find out who I am, and then they do some slime ball stuff like raise my rent, you know, to get me out of there. You know, um, I also think that, like, besides all the other obstacles we have to deal with because of our past, like, real life stuff is always going to be in our way. Our record is always going to follow us. Our past is always going to follow us. So it's very, very difficult. And there's at times where I understand why people go back to that life, and I understand why people go back to prison, because it's much easier. You can make money much easier. Violence comes normal. It comes easy. Feeling that camaraderie, feeling that love comes easy. You know? And doing the right thing in a positive way, being a citizen, is difficult because of who we are. And most people don't really get that. And... I remember because I was serving a life sentence, you know, before I came home. You know, I ended up over. Returning my case. And when I was serving a license, I remember individuals coming back. And I couldn't understand, like, I couldn't understand how they got that opportunity to go out and I couldn't, I didn't get that opportunity. Like what I would do to get that opportunity to come home and they just taking it for granted. Then when I actually came home, I understood. You know, that mental aspect is crazy. Like, you can have the family support, you can have the housing, you can have money, but that mental, that waking up every day feeling like you don't belong here, because what you know in the past is the only thing that got you up, you know? It's the only thing that you knew. Then when you wake up, and you feel like the whole world against you when you're doing the right thing. You know? Everybody's blocking you in every avenue. Um, so I get that. Because I get that thinking too. That's I would never do that. But I think like, what the, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? If I'm still waking up feeling this way. You know? So I get why people go back. I get why people go back to that life. And I get why people go back to prison. Yeah, because like Bobby said, you can have all the support you want, but if mentally, if you're not stable, you're going to mess up. You're going to go back. Like like Bobby said, he's seen multiple people leave and come right back. I was only in for a week, and the day I went in, someone went home. Three days later, he came right back in. 
And everyone's asking, well, what happened? What happened? He said, oh, well, I needed some money, so I robbed the store. And it's like, you just had an opportunity. You just walked. You just sat for a couple of years. Yeah, you know, you got to go home. You go do something stupid because you needed some money. You know, like, our back, like Bobby said, our background will always follow us. So, yeah, you could get a job. But will you get a good paying job? No. Possibly. But when you do get that good paying job, once when they look into your background, find out who you are, um, or find out what you did, you end up losing your job, you know? Mm -hmm. I had a job for two years. You know, I got locked up, came out, they gave me my job back. And they knew I got arrested. They knew I went to jail, gave me my job back, um, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was like probation or something had contacted them to confirm my employment, but I ended up losing my job a few weeks ago because of that. Yeah. And um, now the only reason why I'm working now is through a temp agency and I lied on my background. When they asked, have you ever been arrested? I put no. Yeah. Do you have a clean background? Yes. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? No. And I got a job. So, in the next few weeks, I may possibly be unemployed again, but it helped me. It, it's, it's keeping me out of trouble. I'm busy. I'm staying busy, and I'm not at home thinking of ways how I can make money. And I think, too, like, what I realized, um, you know, during my transformation, doing work on myself, dealing with my trauma, my past, I realized that I always did the wrong things, but for the right reasons. So I think when you get into community work, when you get into down with the youth or your community, you always loved your community. You loved your gang and that was part of your community. It's the same thing. We just put different energy towards it, you know? We put in a lot of work in a negative sense. We can put that same work in, in a positive sense, you know? It's always been in us. Actually, it's probably been in us more than most people because we understand it, you know? Like, that bond is strong. Yeah, the bond, the loyalty. So it's like our loyalty to our gangs and to our community negatively, if we would just put it all and just be positive about it and give back to the community in a positive way and just connect and work with each other, we could make something happen. Mm -hmm. We could change lives. We could stop. We could stop kids from falling victim into the streets, into gang life, drug life, everything. Thank you for listening to the My Turn Podcast. My Turn is a community-based, university-accredited program, providing education, mentorship, and career development support to and by those who have been directly impacted by the criminal justice system. My Turn's objective is to provide an opportunity for each participant to rediscover and reframe their skills, interests, responsibilities, and commitments. 
This podcast is created and produced in partnership with Tufts University Jonathan M. Tisch College of Civic Life and the Bridging Differences Grant Program. Music brought to you by Elmo Playtest. Learn more or support my term at tuppit.org. T-U-P-I-T dot O-R-G.